So we've been in the book of Hebrews. This is our series called Draw Near. It's because about a half dozen times in the book of Hebrews, we are commanded, those Hebrew Christians are commanded, and thus we are commanded to draw near to God. We can do that, as our bumper video just told us, we can do that with confidence because of the work of Christ, our great high priest. As we've been looking at uh, this text over the last few months, we've seen that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenants, and really, like like I said, the entire Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 8, we've seen that um, the Old Covenant, the Old Temple, the Old Tabernacle, this was all just shadows of and copies of heaven realities that all find their home and fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Last week as Paul shared God's word with us, we looked at how Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, a new covenant which he made that he instituted in his blood. In the inauguration of the Lord's Supper, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And this perfect high priest that we serve is also the perfect sacrifice. And he institutes a new and better covenant, not rooted in the old temporal sacrifices, not hinged on the blood of bulls and goats, but a new eternal covenant made, promised, initiated in his own blood. Sin had to be dealt with. And the only way to deal with sin is by death, by blood. It's covered in, it's washed clean by blood. In Christ, our forever high priest, the one who is also king, he washes it and covers it once for all time with his own precious blood. And so today, again, we're going to look at the work of Christ, our Redeemer, to see hopefully more fully what he has done for us. And so, as I said, if you have your Bible, you're in Hebrews chapter 9. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 15 this morning. It says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Let's pray before we continue on. Father, again, we thank you for your steadfast love over us. God, that you never give up. You never, ever give up on us. You are relentless in pursuing us. I thank you for the hearts and lives in this room, God, that you are pursuing even now. That you are relentless to pursue. God, for all of us in this room, I pray that we would understand the importance 
of your sacrifice, the importance of your blood, the importance of what you've done, that we will never, ever, ever, ever be righteous in our own efforts. But it is by you. It is by your sacrifice. It is by your blood that we are made pure and able to stand before a holy God. I thank you for that. I pray that we would live in light of that. I pray that we would live bringing glory and praise to the one who did it all, our King, our High Priest Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 15 of our text here today points that he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We have our king high priest, right? And these high priests uh, of the old covenant, right? They offered sacrifices repeatedly. But our great high priest mediates a new covenant, offering himself, not the blood of an animal, but his own blood. And the epicenter for worship for the Hebrew people of the Hebrew nation, the, the epicenter for worship under the Old Covenant was the tabernacle, which we talked about just a few weeks ago. It's the tabernacle, the tent in which the priests would make their sacrifices. That was the center of worship. But now, in light of Christ, in light of our great high priest, the epicenter for worship in the New Covenant is not a place, but it's a person. The epicenter for worship is not some just beautiful church nestled in the woods of the Neshota house. The epicenter for worship is in the person of Christ. And his covenant is new. So what is it? What is it about his covenant that is new? If you remember Hebrews chapter 8, uh, we read it just a few weeks ago. I think it was Luke that maybe uh, spent some time on this. Luke 8.8, 8, cited from Jeremiah 31 says this, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And so when you push this up against the Old Covenant, when you push this up against the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Old, the old Covenant, written on stone tablets, brought down the mountain by Moses, the thou shalt nots, right? The big ten. No other gods before me. No graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. All of these commandments representing the old covenant written on stone. Written out there. Outside of ourselves. Telling us how to behave. How to live. How to honor God. How many of you in this room, you really like being told what to do? 
Like there is something within all of us. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like somebody from the outside telling me what to do, how to behave or how to govern myself. My flesh hates it, even if it's true. Even if it's the absolute word of God, the instruction of God, the perfect guidance and protection and wisdom from a perfectly loving father. There's just something in my flesh. I don't like something out there telling me what to do. But if, it not, if it's not written on tablets of stone, but if it's written in here, it's different. If it's written here, not out there, if it's somehow sewn into my heart, if it's engraved into my heart, if it's received and believed, you've seen the perfect wisdom and the perfect protection given by a perfectly loving father, what it does is it becomes conviction. It isn't imposed on us by something out there, but it is written on our hearts. So by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, he takes his law and this new covenant is written on our hearts. And we are glad, obeyers of his word. That's the grace of the new covenant. So that's the first part. It's not just duty, it becomes delight. We wouldn't want it any other way. It becomes a conviction in the thing that leads and guides me because I know the truth of God. And that's the first part. But the second part is that he is merciful and forgives sin. Did you notice that at the end there? In verse 12 of chapter 8, it says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is what our great high priest does. He is merciful towards us. He forgives sin. He remembers them no more. And it's all because of the blood of our great high priest, that perfect sacrifice, one for all, that washes us completely clean. Not just a little bit clean, but completely clean. Read verse 15 again of our text. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that, that's, that's a purpose language, that's reason language. That's what it means for us language, okay? So that those who are called, that's us, who've trusted Jesus, that's those of us who have put our faith in him, those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance since a death has, that, excuse me, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Notice all the legal language that's used over these last few weeks. When you're talking about covenants, promises, when you're talking about wills here coming up in just a few moments. Right? Covenants and promises, we've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks. Today, we see the analogy of a will. Have you ever received something in a will? Somebody ever left you something in a will? Maybe it's parents or grandparents. Maybe you think... Often makes me think when I when you're talking about an inheritance or or somebody leaving you something, my mind often goes to the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Right? This guy has two sons. The younger son comes to dad and he says, Give me what's coming for coming to me. Give me my inheritance. I want it now. I can't wait for you to die. I want it now. Like that's how much of a slight is that to your father? Can't wait until you're out of here. I want your stuff. Give it to me now. We think of the word prodigal, a lot of times we think um, it means wayward. That the prodigal son, that he is running off and doing his own thing. But the actual literal meaning of prodigal means lavish 
or extravagant. When we think about the prodigal son, it's, it's in his spending, and it's the squandering of his inheritance. He gets his inheritance, and he goes, and he spends it lavishly, extravagantly, wine, women, and song, and goes, and he has his way. And then he comes to his senses, right? That beautiful moment when he's in the pig pen, right? He's feeding the pigs, and he comes to his senses, and he goes, what have I done? I've taken all the goodness of my father and I have squandered it. I've betrayed him. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Maybe I'll go back and maybe I'll just be a servant. Maybe I'll just go back and just plead for mercy and becomes a servant of his father. But we know the story. He goes back. What you see is a father who sees, he's like waiting for his son. Like, could you just, I could just imagine him, it's like on the porch, like looking off into the distance over his land and over his livestock, just looking for just on the horizon. Is that him? Is, he hikes up his robe and he runs out to meet him, embraces him. My son was dead, but now he's alive. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. What you see here is this father's love for his son. That's the thing that was lavish. That's the thing that was extravagant. That's the thing that was prodigal. It was the lavish love, extravagant love, the extravagant mercy that this father had on his son. But a will, an inheritance is left after someone dies, right? When, when someone passes away and the, the attorneys are going through the estate and the will is read, you find out what you have inherited from those that have preceded us. It's not open and it's not read. It's not distributed until the person dies. Verse 16 of our text again says, For where a will is involved, the death of one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And so Jesus, and, and this is just, this is an analogy, and analogies aren't perfect across the board, but this, like, I, I love the way that the Lord deals with us in analogies, word pictures, because, like, it's all we got. All we have is our language. It's all we have is our understanding. And our great high priest, that a perfect eternal sacrifice, is the mediator of a new covenant, and that covenant was written in his blood. And because of his death, we are beneficiaries of a great inheritance enacted upon his death, brought into effect because of his death. If we can grasp the fullness of what our inheritance in Christ means, I think it's bigger than what we initially think. And I think we do this with the gospel all the time. When I have conversations with people, we start talking about the gospel. Like the gospel is one of those words that I think we throw around a lot, but I think it loses its meaning. It's like that, that simplicity, Jesus died for my sins. Like that's it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But it's bigger and fuller in that. It's the fullness of the person. It's the fullness of the work. And it's the story of redemption that's written throughout scriptures from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation. There is the good news of redemption that comes in our Savior Jesus. It's written into the shadow of the old covenant structures that are supposed to be seen more fully in the person and the work of Jesus. It's all pointing to him and his gospel and the blessed inheritance that we have in him. We read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We get a little, a little fuller picture of this inheritance. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Thank you, God. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, thank you, God, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, it was his plan to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want you to hear all of these words. This is not just like flowery church language about grace and beloved and blessed. Like this is God's love for us. This is God's good news for us. This is our blessed inheritance that we have in him. Verse 5 again, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he had blessed us in the beloved. In him, verse 7, we have the redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of what? According to the riches of his grace. Is it the, the riches of my perfection or my good deeds? No, it's the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. There it is again. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. It's always been about Jesus, remember. It's always, it's always been plan A. Jesus has been plan A. To unite all things in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, there it is again, the best place to be is in him. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, right? When you trusted in him, when you hoped in him, when you cast your life upon him and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Not only do we have this great inheritance, but it is the Holy Spirit that guarantees it for us. Simply put, this inheritance is our salvation, our eternal life, our union with God. And now, yes, but fully realized, not fully possessed until we pass from this life or until Christ returns for his church. Think of 1 Peter chapter 1, another great text on our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, and here's the description of it, that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anyone grieved by various trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is our blessed inheritance in Christ, that we've been born again to a living hope. And this inheritance, as we've seen in this description in 1 Peter chapter 1, is imperishable and unspoiled. You ever going through the fridge? We've got Thanksgiving coming up here. We're going to have lots of leftovers. You ever find that Tupperware in the back of the fridge that's been there a little longer than what you thought? Right? So much so where you're like, I'm not even going to open it. It's going right in the trash. Right? Everything in this life is subject to decay. Everything in this life is subject to rust, especially in our Wisconsin winters, to breaking down. Of course, accept the word of God. We've talked about that before. Word of God does not break down. It does not decay. It is the only perfect thing in this world. But everything else is subject to decay. I went through a time just recently, a few months ago, where I felt like everything was breaking. You ever have those times where it's just like one thing after another? The central air goes down. The dryer goes down. The van breaks down. Like it's just one thing. You're like feeling the full weight of everything breaking. We have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's unspoiled, doesn't break down, not subject to decay. I think that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have this treasure, this inheritance kept for us in heaven that is undefiled, imperishable, unspoiled, and it's waiting for us. It's also described in 1 Peter chapter 1 as unfading. And looking around at the leaves, like before we left uh, for our little trip here, like the leaves were like in full force, brightest yellows, the brightest oranges. And we got back just two weeks later, and all of a sudden everything has faded it's all a drab brown if it hasn't already fallen. Like your favorite raw denim jeans that you never wash because you don't want them to fade. We have an inheritance that doesn't fade over time. Christ's love for you also doesn't fade over time. No matter what you've done, his love for you is constant and it's intense and it's full like the brightest of colors. You understand his intensity for you, his intense love for you. Think about like your best relationships in your life. Sometimes your affections can waver a little bit. You don't feel quite that same intensity. Christ's love for you is intense and full. It's been awesome. Like I, I've described what the Lord has been doing uh, in me over the last couple of weeks and months and this past year. Some of the struggles that we've experienced, like it's only intensified what the Lord has been doing in my life. My love for Christ, my love for his spirit brought about by the work of the spirit himself is only intensifying even in struggle. To taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not a flavor, it's not a taste that's going to fade over time. 
It's good, like, like, like the sweetest of fruit that you put in your mouth. The intensity of flavor that is there. Taste and see that our God is good. Our inheritance in Christ is unfading. And your walk doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to fade either. Your experience with Christ is not as intense or flavor-filled as, as, as you'd like or if it's faded or if you're feeling that way. I want to encourage you this morning. Like, and it, it's not just like, I, I, I don't want you just to think check more Christianity, but you need to experience the fullness of God. You do that by his word, right? Get into his word. It doesn't have to be three chapters a day. It doesn't have to be whatever, but get into his word. Saturate yourself in the word, the truth of Christ. And do that through the spirit of Christ. When you do, like, when you invite the spirit of God into your life, when, especially when you open up the scriptures, it is amazing how he takes that and drives it into your life. If you want it to be intense, ask for more of the spirit of God and do it within community. Do it within the body of Christ. You are not meant to be an island unto yourself. We all have a personal walk, a personal walk with God, yes, but it's supposed to be lived within community, within the body of Christ. I've got great brothers in my life right now that are, that are, that are pouring into me, and there is an intensity to my walk with God that would not be there if I am not walking with other brothers. Your inheritance is unfading imperishable, unspoiled. Your inheritance kept for you in heaven, sealed and guarded by the Holy Spirit, is unfading. It's kept for you in Christ. Verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1 says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He keeps it in heaven for you. And by the way, he keeps you here as well. He keeps you. We have a great high priest who lives to intercede for us. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 7. Actually, John 17, right? That's the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays to the Father for his people. It's called his high priestly prayer as he intercedes for his people, for us. Verse 9 says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me because they are yours, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Keep them in your, like, he, he's praying, he's pulling for you, he's praying for you. Our inheritance is kept for us in heaven and he's going to hold on to us now. It's not the other way around. It's not that you're holding on to him so tightly and your grip is getting tired and, and you're afraid that you're going to let go. But no, it's the fact that your savior, your high priest, your king is holding on to you. Your inheritance is secure because it's secure in him. And all of this has been secured by the blood of Christ. By his sacrifice. As I mentioned earlier this morning, in the institution of the Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. That blood, that, that signifies his death, 
And that death sets the will and the subsequent inheritance into effect, as our analogy this morning tells us. It sets that will into effect that now that inheritance is ours, and it means uh, it's also the means of our righteousness. It's the thing that affords us this great inheritance that we have been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. We read our text again, starting in verse 18. It says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Under the old covenant, it was all sprinkled clean by the blood of bulls, goats, sheep. Under the new covenant, it's been inaugurated by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made clean by his blood. You are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not in your efforts. See, when I first, it was years after I got saved. I was going to say, when I first got saved, I thought it was, no, like, I had this wrong for a long time in my life, I think, where I, would, I came to Christ, and it was based on his grace. And I knew that, that his grace was the thing that saved me. You've been saved by grace through faith, not in yourselves. It's not your works. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2. But then I thought somehow, some way that it was mine to maintain. You ever feel that pressure, that tension where it's like, yes, I'm saved by grace, but now i got to go out there and live perfectly. And then when I live perfectly, i got to fall back on his grace. Screwed up again. You just feel just so bad about it. Constantly living defeated. But I've been made clean. You've been made clean because of an eternal sacrifice by a great high priest. A once-for-all sacrifice. Not going in there repeatedly, but his blood is strong. It cleanses to the utmost. It cleanses you once for all. You are forgiven if you are in Christ. So we confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and by faith, we are in him. His blood covers. Today, you are righteous by the blood of Christ, not your own righteousness, not your own doing. Today, you are an heir, a son, a daughter, and you have a great inheritance because of the love, the work, the death, and the blood of Christ, nothing else. I want you to experience the freedom of that this morning. I want you to experience the fullness of that effect this morning. As the band comes and we go to a time of worship in just a few moments, we have a great high priest who is also the eternal, perfect sacrifice. And we have a great inheritance because of that sacrifice. We will receive eternal life, life forever, salvation for our souls because of the blood of Jesus. If you have not placed your faith in Christ this morning, today is your day to do that. It's not your own efforts. If you tried other things in the world, 
First of all, I, I, I know that has left you dry. I know that is, has let you down. It's supposed to. But even if you've tried your own efforts, even if you've tried your own righteousness, your own good works, your own deeds, today, put that aside and rest in the finished work of Jesus. It is only by the blood that we are made right. And that death that enacts sets into place this great inheritance that we have. I pray for freedom this morning. I pray for um, the burden that you sense, the burden of sin, yes, but then the burden of your own self-righteousness. I pray that that would be gone in the name of Jesus, and that we would fully and wholeheartedly place our faith in Christ and in his work. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Ask you to do some business with the Holy Spirit this morning, and as you sing these words, sing it out. Let's let the work of Christ work deeply within us. Father, again, we thank you and praise you. I thank you for your work. I thank you for the promise that we have, the, the inheritance that we have, the eternal life that we have because of you, our great high priest. It was never about the blood of bulls or goats, it was all just shadows copies, all fulfilled in you, Jesus. So God, I pray that every person in this room today would place their faith in you. God, maybe they've tried the world. Maybe they've tried self-indulgence. Maybe they've tried every sinful pursuit. They've come to the end of themselves. God, praise God. Thank you for that, God. I pray that they place their faith in you. And trust your work, trust your blood this morning. God, maybe there's folks in this room that have tried self-righteousness. They've tried their own efforts. They've tried their own religion. Maybe there's a religious spirit about them that needs to be broken. I pray, God, that that would be broken in the name of Jesus. And self-righteousness would be gone. It's evil. It's wrong. Jesus was the most harsh with those that were self-righteous. They thought it was in their doing, that they thought it was in their, their goodness. God, it is in your blood and in your blood alone. Thank you. I pray for full repentance today. God, that we would trust you. We would trust your work, that we would trust your blood to make us clean, to make us whole. I pray for freedom in this place. I pray for eyes to be opened. I pray for scales to be off. I pray for full repentance and new life today. Brothers and sisters in this room that are maybe toying with sin, God, I pray for deep, deep conviction and radical repentance this morning. For self-righteousness, for deceptiveness to be gone. I just really want to pray against self-righteousness. I pray for humility right now, that we would see, God, that we would see self-righteousness in us. We would offer, lay it before you, cling to the cross, cling to the work of Christ, cling to that blood. It is the only way in which we are forgiven. It's the only way by which we are made clean. So God, we just cast ourselves at your feet. Humbly worship you today.
Thank you for freedom. Thank you for joy. I thank you for new life. All because of you. All because of your blood. See you to work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, let's stand and let's sing together.